for September 28th, 2009. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 65. The difference between real and pretend. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. Back from a well-deserved break, I think it was well-deserved anyway, I am your host, Matthew Rather, and uh, I have profound thanks for Mark Lee, who uh, stepped in for me, actually on very short notice last week. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Mark. Yeah, I don't mention it. I'm still, I'm still dreaming of thinking, going back to my glory days when I was the host of the podcast <laughs> last week, and all those times, all the good shows, all your favorite shows. Mark, uh, Mark has been the uh, the host of, and I, uh, I was getting licensed as a motorcyclist in the state of California, and uh, for for a variety of embarrassing reasons, uh, the test went longer than than I thought it should. But now I am licensed as a motorcyclist in the state of California. So if you are driving the state of California, I advise you to get off the roads uh, very, very quickly, because uh, surely we are all in danger. Uh, we are all in, in grave danger. All right. The question for the panel tonight. Uh, we'll probably talk about Roman Polanski a little later, because all that went down this morning as we record. Uh, it is Sunday. The um, Oh, I don't know what what the date is. We record these shows on Sunday night, and then we push them out on Monday morning. It is September 27, 2009, as we record, uh, though the show doesn't come out till Monday the 28th, and I believe it was this morning that uh, acclaimed director Roman Polanski was arrested uh, in Switzerland. Switzerland, I think. So, uh, question for the panel, what is your favorite crime committed by a celebrity? <laughs> I, I hope this is not in, in too terrible taste. But this is a show we are going to court the hate mail on this show. So, you know, feel free to uh, to just rip us a new one. And you can do that uh, by emailing podcastedoverthinkingit.com, by using the contact form on the site, by leaving a comment on the show notes, or preferably by screaming a voicemail at our uh, voicemail box at 20 eat log one that's 2032856401 first in alphabetical order by last name mr peter fenzel what is your <laughs> favorite crime all right let me set by the a scene celebrity? For you. I'll, let, I'll, I'll set the scene for you you know it's a little bit a little bit noir right the date is april 7th 1998 put yourself in the shoes of marcelo rodriguez police officer los angeles county uh, Beverly Hills, California, actually. Oh, you're about and- to steal mine. Oh, you're going to steal yours? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, maybe we can agree that it's anonymous, that it's unanimous, that we all agree that the, the best crime Do- ever by a celebrity is the same for Go all of for us. It. Go for it, Pete. Uh, okay, so you are Marcelo Rodriguez, and you have been tasked by, with a very daring mission for fighting all manners of insidious crime in Beverly Hills, which is no doubt known for its insidious crime. Your job right. is to follow George Michael. Oh, no. Into no, 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 no. Bath- Sorry. We have a <laughs> oh, okay, different one. Okay. okay. Different one. Your job is to follow singer George Michael into a public bathroom, show him your penis, and ask him if he wants to engage in a sex act with you in a public bathroom. And then, when he takes out his penis, arrest him for engaging in a lewd act. <laughs> and then, <laughs> after you find George Michael $810 and make him do 80 hours of community service, um, you, he, and he makes a diss video about you, sue him for $10 million. <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, I'm immensely amused by this because I love the way that, well, I'm reading Wikipedia about it just so I make sure they get the details right. But the way Wikipedia phrases it um, amuses me even more because it says – it frames it in the the sense of questions about his sexual orientation persisted in public until April 7th, 1998, when he was arrested for engaging in a lewd act in a public toilet in a park in Beverly Hills, California. So, like, (laughs) your your, your job as a policeman is to find out whether or not George Michael is gay, um, which I feel like is probably the hardest-hitting police work or maybe it's maybe it's to find out whether george michael thinks you're attractive you know yeah, personally I mean, whether you personally are attractive <laughs> not a lot of people who join the police force get to act out um so many stereotypical sexual fantasies as marcelo rodriguez got to act out in that case um but at any rate i'm amused by it because i love i love it it's like it's it's a celebrity who is arrested for something that's like pretty freaking obvious right like it was uh i mean it, it, I mean, I, I know that you're not supposed to have sex in the bathroom, but this isn't really about having sex in the bathroom, right? Like, it's like when, um, when um, uh, Perez Hilton outed Neil Patrick Harris, right? And then Neil Patrick Harris issued a statement that said, like, I'm a very happy gay man. Like, this is my husband. I'm having a great time. I don't like to talk about myself in public, but it's not a secret. You know, it's like, um, I don't know, these, these sort of, like, there's this divide between the secrecy that people actually live their lives in and, like, the perceived secrecy. And when the law has to get involved, um, I mean, I, I feel like it, it's so ridiculous that I can't even tell the story with a straight enough face to make the joke funny. This is really what it boils down to, because I need to deadpan it, right? And I can't, because it's just too absurd. Too absurd. Anyway, it's my, it's my personal favorite celebrity crime because it was on the news a lot, right? It, and, and they never mentioned what he did. Like, they didn't, they didn't even go so far as to say it was a lewd act, right? It was just like, he was arrested in a bathroom. We don't really know what happened. It was George Michael, who's not gay. What is, it about, what is it about sex in bathrooms, right? Like, uh, who was it? Larry Craig, right? Yes, yes. Um, well, I think it's a place where men go to take their pants off. So <laughs> you, also a- have, you also have the, pri- <laughs> the privacy of the stall, you know? Uh, well, and, yes, that's true. Yeah. And, and in his have- stall, a man is king. Right, and also your wife doesn't, won't follow you in. Right. Um, so that's kind of important. I mean, I don't know. I'm not the hugest authority on this, but my, name, my last name is Fenzel, and, and I have a nickname, Fens, and I live in Boston, so I'm familiar with the implications of my nickname. Um, for those of you who don't know, there's a place in Boston called the Fens where activities similar to this tend to happen. Uh, thankfully, I haven't taken a, I wouldn't made, fun of, made fun of it for a lot because I moved here as an adult. But, um, but yeah, you know, you know how it is. It's, uh, I, the persecution of people for things like this that are really created by injustices in society are only really funny when they result in petty fines being levied against obviously gay celebrities. So. <laughs> and I would, ex- I would accept that as an axiom. Yes, yes, yes. All right, so you guys probably have better ones, and you have a different one than I do. I do, yeah, you know, it was the same, it was the, I, it was the, it's the same general time period. Mine, mine was 2001, though, I got the dates oh, okay. slightly wrong. Uh, but, Mr. Mark Lee, former host, uh, Mr. Mark Lee, favorite, uh, favorite celebrity crime? All right, mine's pretty pedestrian compared to um, what Fenzel <laughs> was describing in the Roman Polanski business as well, but um, I like this one a lot. It's the Bill Gates being arrested in uh, 1975. It was before he was a celebrity, but nevertheless, Bill Gates, famous you know, software developer, Microsoft founder, um, arrested in 1975 for speeding and driving without a license. Um, <laughs> the reason why I like this is because it produced that famous mugshot of him, uh, Bill Gates with his shaggy hair, uh, nerdy glasses. He just got this nice, goofy little grin on his face. And you know, the, the, the plaque 
you know, with the, this number and everything in his mugshot is just hanging around his neck and he's just uh, smiling like, hey, check this out. It's good stuff. <laughs> yeah, it is a dumb, it is a pretty geeky looking headshot, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Compare so, that to the headshot, the famous headshot of Frank Sinatra from my home county of Bergen County, New Jersey for what, like seduction, right? Because uh, he had sex with some guy's daughter or wife. Oh, but by headshot, headshot, you mean mugshot, right? Or mugshot. They're the same thing in this day and age, right? Isn't that how you, you get your image around? <laughs> Matt, rather, you're in Los Angeles, right? Yeah, Doesn't the mugshot replace the headshot? Absolutely, the yeah, working on the, yeah, working on the business. You're nobody. I mean, you know, have you ever heard someone say, I can't get arrested in this town? Yeah, now true. they mean it literally. Uh, well, I guess, I guess the, the upskirt shot has replaced the mugshot, which in turn replaced the headshot, <laughs> which is very sexist because men can't participate. Yeah, no, it's that. Um, I mean, the the big problem with the entertainment industry has always been its prejudice against men. No, seriously. (laughs) If we don't have if we don't have you know things down low to be poking up cameras into, like, what's the point? Right. (laughs) Okay. I found this. I found this website, Hollywood Behind Bars, where I found both that Frank Sinatra mugshot that you just referenced, Pete, um, as well as uh, the Bill Gates one. And but the great thing about this is there's this list of celebrities, and as you scroll through it. Um, it takes the, the mugshot and it, um, it it puts their picture behind, literally behind bars. It, it's <laughs> <laughs> it's so I got Edward Furlong, Eminem, Frank Sinatra. I'm just going to go down here and just get to see all my favorite stars, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the pen, in the slammer. Uh, all right. Here's mine. I'm going to set the scene for you. It's the height of the Christmas shopping season, also in Beverly Hills. Okay. December 12th, 2001. <laughs> I think I remember this one, yeah. <laughs> this is why you can see why I got confused with yours we have, a little We bit. love the petty crimes here on Overthinking. <laughs> we don't like it when people actually get hurt. We only like it when people commit misdemeanors. In, uh, in Tony Beverly Hills, California, at the Saks Fifth Avenue <laughs> department store. This was a crime that resulted in L.A. District Attorney Stephen Cooley uh, pulling together a crack team of not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, not seven, not eight, but eight (laughs) prosecutors. And four felony charges were described, uh, were described, were filed, uh, with a description of the enormity of the crimes by one Winona Ryder. <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't even include Alien Resurrection on the list. <laughs> <laughs> Who shoplifted uh, $5,500 worth of crap out of sacks. <laughs> oh, did she beat man. the rap? What, did she have to, what, what was the, uh, the conclusion of that? She actually went on the run, and Tommy Lee Jones had to chase her. Did she jump? <laughs> yeah. at large until uh, to this very day. If you see Winona Ryder, <laughs> uh, if you encounter her in a um, in a drainage pipe, and she says, "I didn't steal those handbags," you know it's you. <laughs> okay, oh, so man. here, so here's what happened. According to Wikipedia, Ryder was convicted of grand theft and vandalism, but was acquitted on the third felony charge burglary. In December 2002, she was sentenced to three years probation, 480 hours of community service, $3,700 in fines, and $6,355 in restitution to the Saks Fifth Avenue store and was ordered to attend different kinds of counseling. 
after the community service felonies were reduced to misdemeanors, Ryder remained on probation until December 2005. All right. Those are our favorite uh, crimes. But, okay, so film director Roman Polanski uh, was arrested in Switzerland this morning. Uh, Someone finally listening to the United States uh, asking for uh, his arrest and extradition to either stand trial or else just to sort of be punished. Or I guess to – there's been a – uh, there's been a motion to dismiss the charges based on some funny business that went on with the trial and with, like, inappropriate ex parte contact between the prosecutor and the judge. Apparently the prosecutor was coaching the judge, and it was very, you know, it was like a kind of a big fame, you know, kind of thing. Anyway, so if you don't, if you don't know, the details are a little lurid, so we'll try, we'll try and do it as well, tastefully hey, hey, as Matt, we can. Yeah. how about this? How about this? Um for the people on the call, we have a lot of youngsters on the call who may not know who Roman Polanski is. So we should probably clarify for them who this guy is. Oh, right, of course. Yeah. Roman Polanski is a uh, is a director of note, uh, yeah. an, an Oscar winning director, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or at least his films have won. Uh, uh, yeah, his it, films have won Oscars. I don't know. Yeah, the, did, did he win? Movie a, you might have heard of is probably The Pianist, right? Recently, did he yeah, win an the, Oscar for like Chinatown or something? Well, Rosemary's right. He's, so, he's the I don't know if he won Oscars for those, but those were his big ones. Yeah, yeah. he's the dire- he's the director of Chinatown with Jack Nicholson, uh, the director also of. Um, uh, well, the pianist with Adrian Brody that a- won Adrian, Adrian Brody the Best Actor Oscar, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, the important thing is that like you might not know about him because he's a pretty like artsy director who has a lot of cred. Right, um, but he hasn't made like huge blockbuster movies, and he hasn't made any movies in the United States in a long time because he's been a fugitive. Well, Chinatown, um, Chinatown was big in his day. In its yeah, day, right? yeah, that's, it probably made a lot of money. That's true. Um, okay, and, but yeah, yeah. But anyway, that that being said, and he he's accused of having done bad things with a thirteen year old girl. He he definitely like took some pictures of her and fed her some wine and stuff. But it's oh not yeah, clear. yeah, and he, yeah, I, yeah. No one, I think no one, no one disputes the fact that he did some bad. He gave some drugs to and did some some bad sexual things, uh, yeah. reprehensible things to a thirteen year old girl. Uh, part of the. Um, part of the penal system like happened and then he fled the country and has specifically been... more than just part of the penal, penal system, you know, oh, penal system. Oh my. he did, sorry, he did plead guilty. He was charged with the laundry list of felonies. Uh, those were dropped in the plea deal. He pled to unlawful sexual contact with a minor or whatever it was called at the time. Uh, statutory rape, essentially. And, um, and then went to for psychiatric evaluation uh, out of prison. Uh, was released early from that, and then, for a variety of reasons, fled the country. And this has all kind of come to light. A lot of stuff has come to light recently in the 2008 documentary, Roman Polanski Wanted and Desired, which interviews a lot of the people involved and uh, kind of 
goes goes into the trial and there there the story would end he lives in uh, he's a french citizen so he was in france france you know i think as a matter of setting precedent didn't want to just extradite its own citizens to the united states i guess that's a bad precedent for a sovereign power to set so you know essentially he was living in france and he was safe as long as he was there but um he went to switzerland uh this morning to accept an award uh, at a swiss film festival and was arrested there is being held at the moment in switzerland pending a swiss hearing uh into whether switzerland will grant the united states extradition request does that make sense but you left out the 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 prior to the whole trial thing the accusations of doing bad things to the 13 year old girl was the whole surviving the holocaust in poland and (laughs) the united states becoming a director and then having his wife and unborn child killed by a charlie manson's cult yeah by the manson by the manson family to add on to what is a crazy ridiculous life right right, right. yeah yeah so he he was having a pretty bad time already yeah (laughs) Right. Like this is the kind of stuff that like at this point is probably when he discovers the ability to control magnetism, right? Like, <laughs> like oh, you just God. can't take it anymore. Not that uh-huh. I mean it's very it's very difficult, right, to to even talk about this because people wanna people get all witch hunty about things like this. And whenever you talk about anything that's like mitigating or anything bad that happened in the guy's life, you're like, You're an apologist for rape. And yeah. I just wanna make very clear that everyone on the call thinks what he did is bad. Right. Like it's not. And we're not excusing it. And no one disputes the facts of what happened. And and they were bad. Uh, But at the same time, like public hysteria over sex crimes is disproportionate to its role in the justice system and is is used and abused by people in power to do all sorts of nasty things. So it's important to not totally fly off the handle. Um, especially with something that, like, you're not personally connected to that happened, like, 30 years ago. Um, right, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Yeah, Just absolutely. keep it all in perspective. Keep it all in perspective. Don't go all crazy about it, because there's a lot of stuff that happens every day in this crazy world, and if you go crazy about all of it, you know, you won't have any time to, uh, say, watch Crank 2, which I really recommend. <laughs> which, which, I, I was trying to push the guys before the call to discuss Crank 2. No, no, but we'll he, get to it. We'll get to it okay, later. Okay, we'll get to it later. Yeah, okay, yeah. good, good. Oh, uh, why the hell That'll not? be your reward. If you sit through the discussion of the important and subtle legal practices <laughs> surrounding the Roman Polanski extradition, you'll get to hear me talk about Crank 2, which will be off the hizzy, or as they say in France, off the chain. Okay. Uh, so here's... <laughs> I, I hope there's like a killer segue, by the way, coming up. <laughs> Roman Polanski. Man, you are, you are really, really setting up a, a High expectation there, Mark. What, what would it be like? Good. Speaking is is speaking of fugitives. Well, we from... can't segue now. We gotta make it. We gotta make it organic. We, okay. Once we're in the moment, or whatever uh, it is, uh, we, right. we, we are talking about. <laughs> so I, right. I, yeah, I agree with Pete that that sex time crimes generally. Um, uh, generate an amount of hysteria, and I would say more an amount of. I mean, my view of this is very cynical. It, they generate an amount of attention, and it's mm. the old, it's the old Puritan dodge, right? Like, oh, that you know, uh, oh, that bad sex, that bad sex, that bad sex is terrible. Let's talk about, let's talk about all the ways that that bad sex is terrible, and talk about all the bad sex. And well, let's talk about all the lurid details of all the bad sex, and like, hold on a minute while I unbuckle my shoes and get myself comfortable. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I remove my pilgrim hat, you know. That's how good he talked her with the devil. Yeah, what else did you see? What else did you see? Tell me about it. I saw a puppet. I saw... What kind of puppet was it? Oh, man. I like to watch. 
<laughs> yeah, right. So you get you get your kind of standard Puritan dodge. And I have said before on this podcast that this is the principle on which shows like Law and Order Special Victims Unit operate on, you yep. know, which is just to say that, like, on some level, you if you're watching that show on some level, you want that cheerleader to get raped and murdered, you know, mm. if only to have an occasion for the episode that you're watching. Right. And yeah, OK, right off and try triumphs in the end and the you know the brooding and kind of you know uh muscular uh stature of chris maloney right like uh, (laughs) restores order but that functions like the spate of marriages at the end of a shakespearean comedy which is just to kind of put a little bow on all the fun time that you spent in the woods for the last five acts or alternatively the last hour of hitch which just makes apologies for the first hour of hitch which you actually enjoy Right. Yeah. Or actually, speaking of that, the last hour of Hancock, which makes Uh apologies for the first hour of Hancock, which was actually kind of cool until it started sucking. Or for Men in Black 2, which just made apologies for Men in Black 1. No, I don't know. Or like Ali, which was a big apology for Wild Wild West, apparently. Yeah, which is like, like, look, right? Like, this is a Midsummer Night's Dream, right? This is how it all, you know, this is how it all goes, and it ends in a spate of marriages, and... All, all is made right, and this weird pansexual now, bestiality thing that you've totally been getting <laughs> off on for three acts, for like acts two through four, uh, you know, all comes crashing down around your head, and like, it's okay, we can go home, and Elizabeth is still queen. Let, let, me, let me anticipate some internet flamers and say, not flamers in the sense of George Michael, but other kinds of flamers. Uh, why do you say these things? Why do you say these things? Bad Pete, bad Pete. That's not acceptable. That word, you should not use that word, kids. That should only be used on podcasts. It should not be used in real life. Um, <laughs> I need uh, another beer. Clearly, certainly, Matt, there is a difference between somebody being sexually assaulted, as in like the hypothetical cheerleader being raped in an SVU, and somebody simply having um, like sort of un, uh, unaccepted, unacceptable, passion-driven, society-defying sex. Like in something like, I don't know what, like A Cruel Intentions or something like that, right? Which is another movie that does the same thing, where it presents you with this all sorts of creepy crap, right? Like um, you got the incest angle, and you've got like um, Selma Blair and, and, and Sarah Michelle Geller maybe going to make out. And it all gets rectified and set right at the end. Um, and whenever I say rectified, I feel a little dirty. And this feels like the right podcast to say that. But <laughs> I could have put that on any podcast. But I yeah, saved right. Because- or like, or let's say something like Dawson's Creek, where you know Pacey's Pacey Stupp and the teacher, right? Yeah, exactly. And like, 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 oh, isn't that different, right? <laughs> I mean, and, and, and isn't that not the same? Isn't it not fair to equate those two things in entertainment? And I think, um, to not put words in your mouth, but to answer my own question, I would say it is different. Or it isn't different. It isn't as different as you think it is, at least in terms of how it functions as entertainment. Um, yes, right? and that's, like that, that's that, exactly yeah. it. In terms of how it functions as entertainment is the key yeah. is the key there, right? Because when you're talking about entertainment, you're talking about representation that is there for the purpose of captivating you or giving pleasure or, you know, holding your attention. Uh, you know, I mean, there are a variety of functions of entertainment, I guess. They, they all have to do with, I guess, captivating you. But, um, uh, right. And you're not talking about real life, which is subject to a whole bunch of other considerations, like, you know, uh, 
laws. The rule of law, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the little things. Right. Like, we say the rule of lost, which is that every time it looks like something's going to get figured out, you add another complication. It's right. like, uh, you know, it's paradox of plot exposition. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. In order to yeah, in order to solve the mystery, you have to travel halfway to the solution of the mystery. <laughs> and then from that point, you have to solve half the mysteries from yeah. that point and half the mysteries again. Uh, At which point you're at the season series finale of Battlestar Galactica at which point you're moving in infinitesimally small amounts towards the solution of all the problems they set up um, and it becomes asymptotic and it ends that way um, <laughs> but yeah I mean what because um, I think it's important to acknowledge that the structures that we put in place and the rules that we put in place for society do not mirror or reflect um, the underlying systems that influence behavior or that influence emotion or that influence the way that we feel about things right, right. Uh, like like our reactions to things like like what's going on inside of our um you know our, the messy i'm sure that there's a great yates quote about it but i can't come up with off the top of my head uh, something about love pitching his palace in the place of excrements but that doesn't quite hit the nail on the head um, but like what happens inside of us is a lot more messy and um not as distinct as the laws that we in, in put over the top of it and people i think constantly get confused as to Shouldn't what is right and wrong and what we want to do and what we think we should do and how we could judge our own thoughts and our own impulses, shouldn't that mirror what is good and bad in accordance with various moral codes and what is legal and illegal in accordance with what the law says? Shouldn't all these things be the same? Yeah, be of a piece. Right. Yeah, 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 exactly. And and the answer to that is categorically no. Right, right. right. Because, uh, Which is ironic because it's so Kantian in the first place to say that categorically it is not the case. Yeah, right. But anyway. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I don't know. What do you what, what do you think of, of Pascal? How about uh, love has its reasons that reason knows not of? Or the heart has its reasons that reason knows not of? Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, I mean, that, that's sort of like, uh, it, it's kind of like the sexy side of Thomas Aquinas, right? <laughs> Which, <laughs> Which is, for or, me, it's all of, yeah, all of Thomas Aquinas. Can we hold on a second here? Can we hold on a second here? Um, I, I want you guys to bring this back to how this relates to the Roman Polanski, because I'm starting to feel very uncomfortable about the things that you're saying. To <laughs> <laughs> well, they're supposed to make you feel uncomfortable, because they're about the tension between what is illegal and legal, what is right and wrong, and like what is um, titillating and not titillating right what is interesting interesting and not interesting interesting and not interesting so like the roman polanski story will probably get a lot more press than it might deserve under certain circumstances right or it might provoke more outrage than it might deserve considering um the sort of uh gray areas surrounding the legal case and the fact that it's a very unfortunate circumstance in general and Um, also the fact that that the guy was a a successful hollywood director right because god knows right this is not a world that is hurting for sex crimes right you can't you know you can't Throw a throw a rock without hitting some tragic story of something or other, and yeah. and yet and if like you throw a this, rock at it, that would probably be a sex crime in itself. If yeah, you hit right. Some... Absolutely, that's <laughs> like, uh, it's you junk. know. But uh, I oh. encourage I encourage uh, he among you who is without sin to throw that that first rock. You but mean uh, who's without sex crimes? <laughs> um, but the uh, let he is without sex crimes cast the first stone. Hey, that's what the fact. You oh, know, crap! Thanks, we gotta run. There's a lot of stones coming this way. Uh, <laughs> that's, uh, like, I, take, I take these things very seriously. Hey, look, I'm if you perfect. listen to if you listen to Andrea Dworkin, all sex is a crime. 
Who's Angela and- Andrea Dworkin? Or Andrea Dworkin, uh, like uh, first wave feminist. Uh, oh, okay. I guess. Anyway, what were you? Yeah, you take these things very seriously. You well, have just, I, you yeah. have sisters, like you. You yes. know, you like it's it's you know not funny when you know mm-hmm. bad things happen to uh, to people who don't deserve them. And I think, and I actually went off. You know what? You know what? This actually ties into, and I'll only talk about this for a little bit because I find it really upsetting. <laughs> Is it crank too? It, it's it's crank two. No, it's not crank two. <laughs> crank two I found upsetting for different reasons. But no, it's the whole um, – we're all uh, Yale alumni and the whole um, media reaction around Annie Lay uh, and her unfortunate murder. Right. The, the poor girl who was put in the wall. Um, and it reminds me of a friend <laughs> For the of, love of uh, God, Montress, or Oh, no. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm well, that's sorry. a great example because that's a book. It's okay for you to think that the cask of Amontillado is kind of awesome because it's not real. And, <laughs> right. And the codes of and the rules for right and wrong and like the rules for what um, is good or bad are different from the world rules for what is interesting or not interesting. Right. Um, and and I think that um, specifically with Annie Lay and then going back, um, you know, I mean, I don't know, I won't mention by name, but I had a friend. I think you probably knew her too, Matt, um, who was murdered back in two thousand and three. Uh, who was a Yale alumnus who was also a very pretty girl um, and got a lot of media attention because she was a pretty girl. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and it wasn't about, like, her loss or, like, the fact that she was murdered, but it was, like, people sort of salivating over these pictures of this pretty girl. You know yeah, what I mean? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. and it's just – it's really – it was really uh, untoward. Like, I really did not um, – really did not appreciate it. And I think that, that for me, when we're talking about things like how hyped up people get over Roman Polanski or – and, in fact, this is a bad example. It's more like – a bunch of other crimes that are similar to Roman Polanski's crime, how hyped up people get about how interested they get about it. I think that it ca- the hype itself does not serve the sort of crusadering purpose that we think that it serves. It doesn't actually make it less likely that people are going to be the victims of sex crimes right. because it fetishizes sex crimes, right? And it promotes this like enthusiasm for sex crimes. And just because everybody's like, I'm against it, I'm against it, I'm against it, let's all look at it and salivate over it, right? right? Like it's not a serious discussion of what this actually means to people. right? Um, and I think that, you're, that by reporting that as the story, I think it's lazy and it takes the easy way out. Now, it's not the job of the news to not take the easy way out, but it's our job as sophisticated overthinkers and commenters on the culture and on society to put the line where it belongs and to say, like, let us not salivate too much over the sexual misdeeds um, relative to the other misdeeds, which are also bad. <laughs> and let us try to recognize with sophistication, with nuance, with a mature idea of how people ought to and should conduct themselves both in the lives of their minds and their lives and on the earth and with each and, other. And the manifold ways in which uh, things can go from bad to worse really quickly in, yes. in, you know, in people's lives and that, that leading to even worse outcomes, uh, which, while not excusing them, does sort of give some sense of how they came about. Right, right. Well, I mean, it's understanding why things happen is different than get making excuses for them. I, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, and I agree with you wholeheartedly, Pete, except for one thing. I would yeah. say it is the job of the news not to take the easy way out. <laughs> and actually, I mean, I think there was a time in American journalism where it was, yeah, okay, it was a little uptight and a little overstuffed and uh, a little full of itself, but where, like, someone would have seriously raised the question of, like, hey, wait, do we really need to be focusing? 
focusing on you know on this kind of on this kind of yeah. stuff. I I read a book. I well no, I actually didn't read the book. I read all the the furor over the book called uh, Free Range Kids recently, and it was uh, it was a uh, uh, written by a New York mother, a writer who is a New York mother. Um, and New York City uh, lived in New York City with, and let her kid take the subway to school by himself yeah. or the bus or something like mm-hmm. that. Kid was, I think, 10 or 11. So a uh, like a, a late elementary school uh, right a child take the bus by himself. And uh, the kid was this. Uh, I'm, I may be conflating two or three different stories, two or three different mm-hmm. anecdotes. But the kid was stopped on the way to school like you know, neighbors or people like reported it, uh, like called, there's this kid. Oh my God. There's this kid walking, uh, by himself. And, um, the, the, you know, the point that this woman was making is that if you look at the crime statistics, even in a place like New York city, the kids today are just as safe as they were, uh, when their boomer parents or their, I don't know, what do you call it? Their post-boomer parents were growing up. In fact, in, a, in several places, maybe even a little safer. And yet there's this hysteria now, this mass hysteria about, uh, you know, kids being unaccompanied and, you know, all manner of perversions and kidnappings and things like this. And yes, they happen. And yes, it's terrible when they happen. And yes, they destroy lives, but they don't happen often enough to just justify uh keeping your kid in the bubble right yeah Um, exactly exactly. actually even if even if they did like there would be some good arguments for not keeping your kid in a bubble anyway because growing up in a bubble has a downside i mean there is a cost there is a cost to all this safety Yes, that, that you know that's a wonderful quote. There is a cost to all this safety. Uh, I was actually, um, you know, I was watching a football game today, and I found that they uh, they changed the onside kick rules now, so that you have to line two people up on the opposite side of the field outside the numbers to avoid the forceful collisions. Uh, that's actually probably a good example of something that was done for safety. But there are things that are bad that are done for safety too. <laughs> no, there was a wonderful piece in the Economist, I think it was last month, about, um, and it's from the British perspective about how ridiculous American sex crime law is, and how like there are there's like they gave a lot of anecdotal evidence where it's like oh there's this woman and her her she let her like 15 year old son have sex with his like 16 year old girlfriend in her house and she is now in a sex crime registry she can't get out of it even though what she did if she did what she did now it wouldn't warrant being put on the sex crime registry but because the laws that changed that weren't retroactive she's on the sex crime registry forever she's in the website that anyone can go to and look up who the sex criminals are and it doesn't specify what she did Right. Um, and, and so if she goes to try to get a job, like she can't get a job, she can't go to the park. Right. Because it's illegal for people who are on the sex crime registry to go to the park. You know, and there's there's that the wonderful anecdotal evidence of like the the refugee sex criminals who live under a bridge in Florida because everywhere in their town is within like a thousand yards of a school or a park or whatever <laughs> or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Like they can't legally go anywhere because this effect and it's it's so exploitable. It's the politician can come out and say anything. Like anything that is going to have anything to do with like sexy time danger, and like you know, sexy sexy danger is one of my favorite uh, meta tags that we put on our post. <laughs> on, yeah, yeah. Actually, <laughs> if you go in, it's overthinkingit.com/slash/tag/slash/sexy-dash/sexy/slash/danger. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but like, you can dash, say dash, anything, yeah, and yeah. provided that it appeals to that that sort of grinding hysteria. 
um, you know, and that sort of disproportionate attention and that disconnect between what influences us and what we ought to put in the law and what is right and wrong and, and ideas of proportional response and just ideas of efficacy. Right. Um, you know, it's just yeah, it, well, it, and it's it look, look. Yeah. I mean, our tools, our tools for understanding and managing information have not caught up with our tools for disseminating information. And until mm. that happens, right, we're going to be very easily manipulable in this way, right? Until there's a kind of media literacy, uh, uh, you know, that is commensurate with the amount and the high degree of manipulation uh, uh, in the media that we encounter, right, this, this, there'll be no end to this kind of stuff. I mean, I'll, I'll posit a, a different possibility, which is that until we develop a way of teaching people how to live under these circumstances and not have their own minds dominated by these concerns, there will be nobody who is immune from it. And if we do successfully manage to educate some spare few number of people, they may perhaps provide some sort of small island of reason among the hysteria that will no doubt continue regardless of what we do. Because it's been this around is, for- You know, this, the same thing is this, like, the sexting, right? The teenagers taking, yeah. taking naked pictures of themselves and, right, like, there is nothing that teenagers love to do, the ones who have the opportunity and like you know uh and no like moral qualms about it there's nothing they love to do like more than get naked right Mm. and have like sexy sexy fun time right and you know you're a teenager you think you're invincible all the like the risks and the kind of mature uh pluses and minuses that go into a calculation of whether you ought to have emotional maturity right uh uh, whether you ought to get naked and have sexy sexy fun time like all these things do not exist for teenagers because you know they are little pulsing balls of hormones so, like, if you give them cameras, they're going to take naked pictures of themselves. And if those cameras are connected to cell phones, they're going to get sent around. And, like, this hysteria about, oh, these kids are going to get charged as, like, child pornographers. Now, that was, I think, saber-rattling on the part of a lot of, uh, a lot of district attorneys. And it might have been, like, a scared straight kind of, kind of strategy on, you know, on the part of a, uh, of a lot of these people. But, right, like, this is the thing. Like, you know, these 17-year-olds becoming child pornographers and like they have to be on sex registries like the like the poor mom who uh, can't go to the park and um you know right and there's also there's a certain amount of like god uh there's a certain amount of like how how much control should any faction have um over how everyone else gets to live their lives. Even, yeah. I mean, this is the freaking Federalist Papers. We're talking about yeah. majority faction. <laughs> yes, right? exactly. You know? Yep, yep, yep. If there needs to be a freaking Federalist Papers for sexy, sexy fun time so that we, are, we believe we, we in this country can uh, achieve a sexual freedom that is written along the lines not of, um, say, like the 14th Amendment, but, you know, more along the lines of the First Amendment. Um, you know what I mean? Like, not that we all need to be allowed to live a kind of homogenous and equally protected sexual equality, but that we need to be free to live the craziness that is our own lives in the way that we so choose. Hey, I feel uh, like people... Yeah. You know, Oh, I said I feel like we should treat sexuality more like a religion and um, less like a public good. And um, that's a quote that's going <laughs> that's going on a T-shirt. We should yeah. treat sexuality less like a religion and more like a public good. This no, is no, like no. The, the, the other way around. Other way around. Oh, no, 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 no. more like well, a religion like, and less like yeah. a public good. Yeah, I, yeah. this guy. This is the quote. What was the other one? Oh, all this safety has a cost, right? Like mm. this is the quotable overthinking in podcast. <laughs> Hey, speaking of living the craziness, 
<laughs> is that is that I was I was also considering speaking of sexy sexy fun time. <laughs> speaking of, speaking of things that will continue to happen regardless of how many people say no to them. Uh, <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, let, let's how about uh, what else? What else? Thinking, speaking of speaking of people having a right to do absurd and horrible things to their own bodies. No, that's a little bit too in 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 the know. You have to know what's happening in the movie yeah. in order for uh, that to happen. Speaking speaking of people. Uh, Oh, speaking of things that are more like free speech and that aren't a public good at all. <laughs> yeah, speaking like things that are like religions, Crank 2 is on DVT. Crank uh, de. Part de. Crank de. Crank de. How do you say high voltage in French? Haute voltage. Actually, that's probably right. If any of our Canadian listeners want to want to correct us, you know the phone number. <laughs> Well, Crank, okay. this is actually I feel like very... I, by the way, I just want to say, I think I can breathe easier now, now that we've moved on <laughs> this topic, which is making me feel uncomfortable. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I didn't mean well, to make you feel uncomfortable, you squeamish Puritan. I'm the My same feeble mind doesn't have the capacity to weigh these very, very tricky moral issues. Oh, quit it with the feeble mind there. stuff. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, like, Polanski should go to jail. He should. He broke the law. <laughs> you should definitely go to jail. That that's that that is definitely the case. Um, that, that, was mean, my, that was like my my underthinking it right there. Yeah. Polanski jail. Yeah, I mean the um. I also want to acknowledge bef- right before moving on to the next topic that I understand the hypocrisy of everything that we just said uh, because we totally <laughs> hysterical and and fixated on sexy sexy fun time crimes for like forty minutes or no, whatever. No, no, no. You get this is the meta dodge. This is yeah. the intellectual person's dodge. Yeah. I'm yeah. not being racist. I'm making a joke <laughs> about racism, right? I'm not being sexist. I'm making a comment on the sexism of society. It's yeah. society that's sexist. I'm just illuminating it and i avail myself of that prerogative 24 hours a day seven days a week 52 weeks a year that is my god-given right <laughs> correct, well, it's, correct it's the borat or the uh or the or the bruno dodge yeah. as well right we covered that before we don't i'll, pa- I'll paraphrase my high school history teacher who said that um if people weren't allowed to do hypocritical things nothing good would ever get done uh, <laughs> Right. Well, and this is something. I mean, this is actually not totally off topic to to what we were talking about. Like, people are complicated. Like, you know, yeah. they do occasionally some very noble things, and then they do a bunch of crap. You yeah. know, and you, you, if you're gonna live in the world, you have to you have to accept that that is the human condition. You know, mm. because right. if like you start, Kelly, R. Kelly makes wonderful yeah. art song and. Yes. Also, he did something, yeah, terrible as well. <laughs> I'm going you just have to, to accept that, right? I'm going yeah, to maybe, yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe women stretches the definition of that word. Let's though, not use. Yeah, never mind. Though he may uh, as well. To, I was about to step over the line, and I'm going to pull back from it. Yeah, he um. may. Yeah, he may. He may pee on women as well, but that's. I think that's not the. That's not the incident that, yeah. that we're referring to. Anyway, wow. You know. You know that your podcast has. Uh, crossed into some dangerous territory when Crank 2 seems like taking it easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, if if you have not seen Crank 2, you can consider Crank 2 to be taking it easy. But if you have seen Crank 2, like I just did yesterday on DVD, 
Uh, it was the number one DVD in America when I was watching it, uh, when, I, when I bought it. And actually, just to let everybody know, I wrote that post on Dragon Ball Abomination, Dragon Ball Evolution. <laughs> and when I bought that DVD to watch it and dissect it and write that post, I also bought the Crank 2 DVD to give myself something good to feel, to, something to feel good about. You bought the Dragon Ball DVD knowing that it was going to be crap? Yes, that's why I had a duty to my listeners and my readers that I needed. <laughs> that's, to, what Netflix, that's what Netflix is for. Yeah, I needed to make sure that I could get it that very day, and I didn't want to go chase it around. I also am not a Netflix member, which is unfortunate. It's, it's despite the fact that my sister got me a free Netflix subscription that I have yet to, to begin, which I need to do. Oh, hey, um, those have a uh, those have an expiration date, so uh, yeah, you know, do it. Yeah. Yeah. Also, okay. letting everybody know. I have a new computer. My old computer was going to have difficulties showing movies and stuff like that. But I have a new computer, which is a big screen that I can watch movies on. And yeah, I can do you better. got a bitchin' new computer. It's awesome. I'm really excited about it. I'm going to be able to start doing some better photoshops for my articles and stuff. It's going to be good. Um, but yeah, but I'm, yeah. just, I'm just saying that you shouldn't – I feel bad that you have spent money on, on, movie, on a movie that you knew was going to be bad. Like I'm not going to buy Terminator Salvation. I'm not going to fork my cash over um, to the well, god-awful forces of abomination that produced that. Well, let me I, assure so you, I feel Mark, bad that you had, to, you had to give your money to the Dragon Ball Evolution people. Let, let me assure you, Mark, it was at a deep discount. <laughs> a very, very deep discount. Really? Nobody wants say. to buy that. Yeah, exactly. Um, I bought it on, like, the third floor of an FYE in, like, downtown Crossing in Boston, which is, like, the crappiest, crappiest store ever because the elevator – there's only – the elevator is the only way to go up and down, and it doesn't work, and it takes, like, 10 minutes to show up. So you're, like, locked in the, in the top floor of this uh, building. You can't get out. Um, but after we have wasted all of our wonderful, wonderful segues, which is such a <laughs> freaking shame. Um, and, and speaking about uh, um, speaking of, that, speaking, oh, about, speaking about <laughs> things that you bring back from the dead for no reason. Even <laughs> oh, I was going to go with I was going to go with speaking uh, speaking with a sad and mindless waste of talent. <laughs> well, first of all, Crank 2 is not mindless. It's incredibly <laughs> mindy. It's very mindy. Um, and it's a, it's a very cerebral movie. Um, You're going to have to fill me in because I, I think I've demonstrated already that I have not watched it in a while. Yeah. So, but so we Crank- should also mention to some, maybe some new listeners that this was a topic of discussion on at least one, if not two, previous podcasts about yes. Crank 2. And like, you know, it was like, more specifically, by the time that it came out, we were really the target demographic for it and all failed to watch it in its opening weekend. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I Which is up, yeah, I ended up seeing it under kind of dubious circumstances. I, I want to interject that if you want to see the old podcast episodes, because iTunes, I think, only goes back eight or ten episodes, uh, go to overthinkingit.com slash podcast, and you will be taken to a list of all the episodes, and you can download the MP3 files uh, individually. Uh, and you can go back to episode episode one. Though I don't recommend that you do it because they really they they started getting good, or at least we we settled on the format. Like we were doing a bunch of things. Like we were doing kind of two handers, and we did a bunch of interviews, and we we kind of didn't know what the podcast was. Though some of those, I mean, the interview with Bear McCreary and the one with Rhea, I think those are good. Uh, some of the two handers, the one about the Oscar nominees from two thousand seven or two thousand eight or something. Yeah. <laughs> that is a work of genius. Uh, though we do describe the short, the Oscar-nominated short, uh, short live-action films from 2008 in excruciating detail. So I, I wouldn't necessarily go back to that one. But it was uh, episode 13 where uh, where we kind of found our voice and started doing them. I think every week, and we have continued uninterrupted for a whole year. That is to say, from 13 to. Uh, uh, 64, right, mm-hmm. is 52 episodes, and we're recording 65 now. So we are, we're embarking on the second year of the Overthinking It podcast. 
Wow. Yeah. I mean, that, that is to say it's been, it, it's been going on longer than that. Uh, the second year of consecutive weekly episodes. Mm-mm-mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that's awesome, right? Yeah, sorry, no, sorry, Pete, I totally, I totally stomped on you. To... Speaking, speaking of people who will not be stopped, no matter what you put in their path. <laughs> yeah, Chev Chelios. Okay, I'm going to try to talk about this in a way that people who have not seen the movie and have no interest in seeing the movie are going to still find interesting. So, Crank, right? If you haven't seen Crank, and and it's a great movie, but not a ton of people have seen it because it's a little bit fringy. Um, it's a story of a man who is a hitman who is injected with a poison. And that's it's basically speed with a person, right? Um, is that if he's his if his adrenaline goes down, right? If he slows down and like his heart rate slows down and his adrenaline levels drop, he will die. So he needs to keep his adrenaline levels up while he is chasing down the people who did this to him, so he can achieve his vengeance with his dying breath. Right is the is the whole idea behind the movie. So it has a pounding like ticking clock and like internal driving force, and it is very sort of um, uh, presentationalist, right? Like like crazy surreal things happen. Like he jumps into a building and all the people get knocked around and knocked outside of the windows. Like someone yells a curse word at him and it appears in front of him and he sort of touches it. Um, he like rather than going in a car across town, he rides on the hood just so that he keeps his adrenaline levels up. Like he has random sex and stuff. Um, it's like a very it's a it's a movie about. Um, you know, movies and adrenaline, and it's definitely very aware of its genre and sort of very tongue-in-cheek and funny and fun, but also a very over-the-top action movie. Um, and and I don't think it's a secret to say that it ends with pretty much everybody involved in the movie, like, extremely, extremely dead, right? Like, everybody's <laughs> dead. Yes. Um, like, so dead, in fact, that the mere suggestion that you would have a sequel to it is, like, patently absurd. Um, like, it is perhaps the deadest that I have ever seen a movie character. I mean, we've had discussions about this before, but, like, and there are movie characters who are presumably deader, and there are movie characters who are deader who come back in sequels, like when the Shredder is, is crushed by the garbage can, the garbage truck in, in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 1, um, and he comes back in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. Like, the garbage truck probably would have killed the Shredder. I'm just saying. Um, it's hard to believe that he wasn't killed after being crushed by a garbage truck. Right. But... But to be um, fair, the deadest, yeah. the deadest I've ever seen a movie character, though, was definitely be the, the guy who got ground up at the end of Fargo. And I don't think that guy came back. Oh, yeah, he's pretty... Yeah. No, although it would be pretty funny if he did. Uh, and he came back and was like... <laughs> is, is that the kind of absurdity we're talking about here with, with, with Crank to Crank 2? Um, it's pretty close. Like, like, they explore what that means in a lot of ways. Like, it opens up with a monologue from John DeLancey, um, also known as Q from Star Trek, um, as a news reporter, sort of briefly discussing the events of the previous film. And he talks about how um, you don't really care what happened because it was all bullshit. Right. He, and he talks about how, how like, like a lot of characters throughout the movie uh, reference the fact that everything that has been happening to this point is implausible and, and how they and they'll ask him, oh, like, how is it possible that this happened? And they'll stop and they'll be like, never mind. Let's just keep doing what we're doing. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, like there's even a scene where um, where there's a doctor who describes it. And it's very this movie Crank 2 is like very surreal. Um, like it jumps in and out of like you know diagrams and intertitles and like it changes genres in really extreme ways sometimes like there's a point where you flash back to the main character's childhood and he's on Jerry Springer and like you there's actually a wonderful wonderful scene which is done in like Godzilla costumes like those rubber suits 
um, where like two, where like the, the scenery shrinks, yes. right? Like the scenery becomes small models, like small crude models and two actors dressed up in plastic suits that look like the people who are fighting at the time, like conduct a slow grinding, like Godzilla style fight with each other. Um, in like, it was like in crazy puppet town, um, without a lot of special effects, but it, it goes all over the place. Right. And there's a scene where there's a diagram of the, 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 the idea behind the movie right, is that um, Chev Chelios, the man who will not be stopped, um, he has been, he is pretty much dead, but he's, he's still alive, he's hanging in there, he's scraped up off the ground, he's brought to a back alley surgeon who extracts his heart, right, and what they're going to do with his heart is they're going to implant it into David Carradine, who is the patriarch of the Chinese triads, because he's 100 years old and he doesn't want to die, he has a heart condition, um, and they give Chev Chelios an artificial heart because they want to harvest the rest of his organs, and in order for the artificial heart to keep going, it needs a constant supply of electricity, it needs to retain a positive charge, and so there's a big diagram at the beginning of the movie of like how exactly this works and like wires and and inflows and outflows and um it's being explained to you but at the end he's sort of like but you don't care about all this right and and jeff <laughs> is like it's all greek to me and it's like okay well this is what you got to do you got to keep your body electrically charged at all times um and so he has a little belt battery but he it doesn't work at after a time he ends up doing things like you know sticking his fingers into electric sockets and tasing himself and like um my favorite scenes are when he tries to create static electricity by rubbing up against people um it's it's and it's whereas crank and okay so what i really wanted to talk about now that i've given that background is that whereas crank one is all about adrenaline and that's right? all the time we have tonight for the overthinking oh, gosh darn it <laughs> <laughs> no, so, no 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 uh, we got some time okay so what i really want to talk about was crank one is all about and actually fits really well with what we're talking about before crank one is all about adrenaline and um action set pieces that create an adrenaline response in the in the audience, right, and like excitement um, and exploring that excitement. Whereas Crank Two is in is a much more general sense about visceral reactions to things, right? It shows a lot more things that are straight up wrong, that are abhorrent and horrible. Um, there's a lot more sort of torturous kind of things that happen to people. Yep. There's a lot more absurdity, um, and it sort of jumps from absolutely absurd set piece to absolutely absurd set piece, and they're all vaulted like all the way up, you know, you know, top of the charts. Um, and, and I think that, that there are some overarching messages, and, but it succeeds because, A, it's very character-driven. Like, everything that happens you can totally see is motivated by the Chev Chelios character and his sort of psychological life. It's sort of almost Jungian in the way that it explores Chev Chelios' psychology and his sort of connection to all the things that have happened in, like, the culture. Um, all of the things he is because he's an action hero. Like, he's also part Godzilla, and he's also part Jerry Springer, and he's, like, also part all these other things. Um, but, you know, it, 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 it's very grounded in the characters and driven forward by their motivations. It has very clear purposes for why it's going on. And it doesn't really get burdened down by caring whether or not the audience thinks it's good, um, which <laughs> is part of – which is – I mean, uh, the death sentence for a movie like this is worrying that the audience isn't going to like what you're doing because you're going to start making a lot of apologies for it. And in that case, you're not going to execute on what you're trying to do, which is really blow everything up out of proportion. Um, so yeah, so I mean, I was really affected by this movie because it's everything that happens in it is very affecting. Like it's it's very visceral. It makes you react to things. It gives you images that you have difficulty getting out of your mind. Yeah, and there's, all of there's a lot of like, well, I can't unsee that. In, exactly. In Crank exactly. Two. Yeah. In fact, but in fact, and and this goes back to what we were talking about before. There's that wonderful. Did you remember that scene in the back of the strip club where the gangsters are conducting the torture um, on the gang on the on the on the other gangsters? Wait, which? And, okay, so which torture? 
Um, so <laughs> this gives you an idea of what the movie's like. Right. Um, it's when the, the the Mexican gangster is holding down a henchman, and he's about to, and he's trying to convince the other gangster to give him like Chevchelius's heart. Yes. Right. And he he which does he, this, which by- he believes is in a in a cooler yeah, at the right. time, right? Yes. Yeah. And he he chops off this guy's elbow. Um, and right when he's about to chop off the guy's elbow, the gangster who's watching, who's supposed to be intimidated by this, says, ooh, this is new and exciting. <laughs> Even though this is like a threat. It's a threat to him, right? It's like, I'm going to do this to you if you don't do what I want. And this is a horrible act of torture. Him as the voyeur, like watching this thing yep. in the movie is like, this is new and exciting. Like, I haven't seen this before. Yeah, as kind of um, a proxy for as kind of a proxy for the audience. Yeah. Lots of characters act as proxies for the audience. At one point, the old lady refers to the protagonist of the movie as, like, that guy from Train Spotting. Um, <laughs> by which, of course, she means the transporter. But uh, she doesn't get the name of the movie right. <laughs> it's pretty funny. It's like, yeah, he looked like that movie star. That guy from the Train Spotting. He's built like a brick shit house. <laughs> you know, and like, <laughs> to excuse my language, but like, that's the line from the movie. Yeah. Um, and, hey, and it's, it's, all- it's reportage. It's rep, rep, reportage, yeah, yeah. Rep, like what? Reportage? Is that how you rep, say it? Or? Yeah, sure. <laughs> That's not how I say it, apparently. But I think I think you were right. That is the correct way to say it. <laughs> I don't know. Um, like everything is all um, banal all over the place, rather than banal um, or whatever that is. Um, but the main thing is that the movie tries to get at a pretty in-depth, cerebral exploration of what these symbols are and what they mean. But it does so with a very, very shameless exploitation of them, like, to the extreme. Um, and, I, and I've been monologuing a little bit much on this here, but, like, I'm sure you guys have seen movies that are like this, right? Or, or even other kinds of cultural artifacts that are like this, where... And, and even this very podcast, which is like this, where you're being really hypocritical in one sense, right? Because you are offering people the very um, visceral and exploitable entertainment that they're looking for, whereas you're also showing them that, you know, what this says about them, that they think that this is a good thing. Right. right? This is actually why, uh, not to, to bring it back to another topic that we talked about uh, two weeks ago, the VMA awards this is i i watched them i hadn't seen them when we recorded but i watched them subsequently uh and lady gaga is a brilliant avant-garde performance artist yes i've actually realized this since criticizing her on her previous on the previous podcast because all i've seen was that one video in the gym right right yeah she's actually really smart um yeah, 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 and that 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 thing about the paparazzi and and that song that quibbles on uh, Papa paparazzi, right? Like that's very interesting. And the fact that she started bleeding on stage in the middle of the VMAs <laughs> and like wiping her blood all over herself as yeah, like, yeah, yeah. and this is what you know. This is what. Um, this is the kind of spectacle that you know that you demand from from me, and that like I'm involved in this uh, this sort of effed up system as well, and we're all kind of complicit in this bad mm-hmm. this bad thing that happens, right? Like, oh, yeah. there was a um, wasn't there a, a high concept movie, internet torture porn movie uh, about this, where like the more people went to the website to watch the live video of the guy getting executed, the faster the lethal injection would go into his arm or something like that. Oh, I don't remember seeing right? that. And it's like, and what you have to do is to save the guy, you have to convince people not to tune in, but no one will. Uh, 
no one will turn in. There's also there's a play called Popcorn by Ben Elton, which I saw yeah. uh, once, where it's it's a natural born killers type situation, mm-hmm. and um, and at the end uh, you're left in a quandary because the uh, the two main characters who are also the bad guys are going to kill everybody if they if they have like a live ratings meter, you know. Yeah. So if you if everyone doesn't turn off their TV uh, and the ratings go down, they're going to kill everybody. Oh God, I mean you could just go on and on and on about the examples of this. And so to be clear, the exposition of the hypocrisy is that you are watching that show, which is about how you shouldn't watch things like this. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, gotcha. yeah. and now, Pete, and here's, here's the thing. How else do you do it? Well, yeah. Well, okay. So there's there's two sides to this. One is I'm not really. Whereas there is a criticism implicit in a lot of this stuff. It's not entirely clear that every criticism is uh has that strong of a moral force behind it as in like you really shouldn't watch this like i think crank 2 also sort of says well this is people are going to watch this like this is new and exciting you know like we're not necessarily going to say that people shouldn't watch this but we are going to cast we're going to tell the truth about like our own nature and why we watch it so how do you get people not to watch stuff that is bad for them um or is bad for them to watch is that what we're saying um like how do you get people not to exploit no, people no no what i'm saying what i'm saying is this why um uh, uh, I mean, how else do you do something that is critical of the oh. of this kind of sensationalism without um you know, without kind of indulging in sensation? Um, well, I mean, you there are boring ways, you know, like <laughs> yeah, and also also um, like you could actually boycott it, and you could actually be like, don't watch Crank Two. And you could, like, get a bunch of old ladies to stand outside of the theater. Yeah, but that's and be, like, not – I mean, them. that's just going to get – like, the best thing you can do for book sales is to ban the book, you know? Well, yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, and I'm not a big fan of banning books anyway. Um, but, um, I mean, that that's another thing you can do to make – to express it. Oh, I mean, how can you actually criticize it? But you could um, – I mean, you could go, like, the Mad Magazine way, right? Um, which is, like, to to parody it in such a – toned down and like mocking way so as to not preserve the things about it that are exciting like i have you ever read a lot of mad magazine parodies of things like star drek and things like that um yeah when i was uh when i was like 12 or 13 i, I yeah, guess yeah. i've kind of fallen off that i mean it's know. not very funny but i mean it's it sort of it's like the mad magazine aesthetic takes over whatever like mo- many parodies of works of fiction focus on um sort of aping and imitating the aesthetic of the work of fiction and then um, like telling jokes about it, right? Like, so a great example of this would be Meet the Spartans, whereas when the Spartans show up, like, they look like the guys from 300, right? Pretty simple. You know, it's like, oh, they have ridiculous abs. We're making fun of them, but they have the same problems that the Spartans in the movie do. So it's not really all that, that much of an indictment. Uh-huh. But with something like a Mad Magazine parody, like when Spock and Kirk show up, like everything about them that is interesting or exciting is like stripped away by this like Mad Magazine mag Mad Magazineification. This like um, uh, Alfred E. Newmanization um, <laughs> that they all. Where, you know, like Spock is like has a crazy nose or big ears and Captain Kirk is like googly eyed and they're like, we're going to get on the Flinter Prize. And like um, <laughs> and, and in that case, I guess what you're doing there, in fact, the Mad Magazine magazine doesn't even have to make a ton of jokes. I mean, they make jokes, but like you can do that without making jokes. Like I could do like, you know, shrank to like low voltage and just like have Chev Chelios walking <laughs> around and like doing boring crap and like take away everything about it that's exciting. And it would show. And the point of that is showing how empty it is. It is once you take out the things that are sensationalistic, right? 
Um, okay, but I yeah. yeah. But that's a, you know, that's a like 90 second comedy sketch, what you're talking yeah. about, right? And if you yeah. want to make it a movie, there does have to be, we still have to make compelling entertainment. Yeah. Uh, you know, and yeah, and uh, oh, God. Well, I mean, I think the moral of the story is that these kinds of criticisms are not necessarily artistically robust, or like as artistically robust as ones like like um, a great. You know, let's let's you you're an English guy, uh, Alexander Pope, like mock epic, right? Like mock, mock epic is more interesting than like straight up diss tracks a lot of the time. Yeah, right. Like like a, a mock epic. Um, what, a good example of a mock epic in in film would be Hot Shots. Yep. Um, whereas Hot Shots makes fun of Top Gun, right? And makes fun of how silly Top Gun is. But Hot Shots also functions as a Top Gun style movie and um, does a lot of the same things that Top Gun does in a piece of art. And in the case of Mock Epic, what you're doing is you're establishing a paradigm, you know, for civilization, a way of living, a way of understanding the universe, right? right? And you're using an art piece of art to justify that. And, and I think and- you can there's a, you can do a continuum of Mock Epic and film. This is something that I love to do. Like I love to taxonomize, right? And yeah. so we can imagine a continuum of mock epic stretching from uh, hot shots or let's say the original airplane maybe yeah. movie yeah. on one end Tropic uh, Thunder good example on that end as well sure <laughs> yeah definitely. actually that is that's a really good example because I think yeah. Tropic Thunder works both as a parody and totally works as an action movie like oh, not yeah, ironically works as an action movie mm-hmm. uh, yeah and if you go all the way to the other side there's like the Wayans Brothers scary movie three maybe right have you seen that? No. <laughs> it's, it's difficult to include in your taxonomy. But I know. <laughs> are, you th- are you thinking more of like like those awful epic movie? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like fast parodies like, they do. Yeah, yeah. Epic movie, date movie, all that stuff. Dance, dance flick is another so wait, one. So, what is this continuum that you're creating, other than between interesting and clever ones and ones that are derivative and not very much fun? Well, between ones, I guess between ones that work as entertainment in their own right and ones that uh, work only. Uh, with reference to the source material. Right. So, like, if we want to, we're both theater people, like, we can talk about the sort of core mimetic impulse, right? And, and the impulse that people have to imitate things and how we get the a impulse that people have to imitate things. The impulse people have to imitate the things. The impulse that people have to imitate things. The oh, God, impulse. I'm not doing this again. <laughs> God. <laughs> God. Okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Um, I did that to you. That, remember that one time, Mark, where you were like, I don't think people mind being copied. And I was like, I don't, I don't think people mind being copied. copied. I want to do one more thing. I want to do, do one more thing, thing. thing. Before we wrap up. Before we wrap up, I'm going to stop. Okay, I'm going to stop. <laughs> I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. <laughs> wow. Well, I don't think we've devolved to this level in the podcast ever before. <laughs> um, hey, Mark, I, it's actually your criticisms of Glee are really on point here. So talk about you, – you've caught up with Glee recently. And talk about what you don't like about Glee, and then I'll, I'll come in and disagree with you a little bit. <laughs> sure. Okay. I mean, I guess that's – Where's, where's this? Wait, where's this segue from Crank 2 to Glee? Uh, speaking no, of, no, 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 no. Speaking of the core mimetic impulse and things not, uh, things not matching up with reality in the way that you might hope. <laughs> sure. Okay. I'm not really sure of this mimetic thing going on here. Uh, this is this is the, this is the podcast of you guys like being like really elevating yourselves to a higher intellectual plane, of which my feeble mind cannot compete with. Oh, come anyway, off it! So, You're right so there com- with us. My complaints about Glee, it's like a bunch of little um, things that don't seem quite right add up to really challenge my suspension of disbelief about this show. Uh, some little things like this, for example, the Cheerios, the cheerleaders, are always show up on screen in their cheerleader outfits, without, with only exception being when they're um, at the cheerleader car wash, they're still wearing their skirts. 
They're wearing bikini tops, but they're wearing the skirts. Um, <laughs> that, that's one thing that that bothers me. Um, <laughs> really, that bothered you? I loved that scene. <laughs> I thought that was a great scene. I don't watch Glee. <laughs> the, the fact that there is uh, the 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 weird little plot twist, the things that the that people use as as leverage and collateral against other people to make them do things. Um, that started out with the with the you know with the teacher using the weed to get the kid to join the glee club, and as the sense that devolved into other even more ridiculous things, um, really stretched the dis- the suspension of disbelief. Um, the most recent thing with the dancing football team, um, dancing to all the single ladies during their timeout as a way of psyching out the other team. Yeah. Uh, the, all the, 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 by that point, I was like, okay, I, I don't really know how much I can, of this I can deal with on this show. Okay, here's <laughs> here's the thing. The, the other thing before before. Oh, sorry, stuff, yeah, yeah. The last thing is that you know, the the way that the show is kind of selling itself was like this is a subversive and more realistic kind of high school musical kind of thing, right? High School Musical is just ridiculously earnest and it's a completely unrealistic portrayal of high school and how. Um, you know, social classes are 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 perceived and and clicks form and all that all that kind of stuff. Um, where it's Glee is supposed to be more, you know a little bit more realistic, and then you know with that kind of framework in mind, all this other crap happens, which uh, really undermines that. I feel like like people bursting out in song. Not even that. No, I mean like because the, it's all the music is all supposed to be diegetic. I think you mentioned maybe you mentioned this in the uh, in the, the the other sister podcast that that has recently launched. When, or the last time he no, spoke it's, about it. No, it was Jordan in his article about it who talked about it. But the music is not all diegetic. The music is what we can, I think, charitably call semi-diegetic, where mm, sure. a musical number will be... And I don't know if Jordan said this or if I'm saying this, right? Like, but but like, let's refine the definition because of, his thing was about the musical number existing in reality and fantasy in three different places at once, and his right. point had to do with figuring out which, you know, which the real one is. Look, I I, I think with with something like this, you have to be you have to like define carefully what you mean by realism, because if it's um right, like if by realism you mean not so Pollyanna. Well, then, you know, Glee is a success. It's not so Pollyanna-ish uh, as, uh, as the High School Musical series. But if by realism you mean an accurate portrayal of uh, uh, a, like, a sociologically accurate portrayal of life in high school... Um, I think that I think that without even addressing any of your criticisms, I think you stop at the point where people br- bust out into song in the middle of the day, right? No, no, I don't, I don't think that's what I'm looking for—an accurate, sociologically accurate portrayal. I think when we talked about suspension of disbelief before in other contexts, context these—I don't know what the plural of context is. Um, I think what we're looking for is essentially a set of rules which are established. Right, and so you got to get you know you get the viewer comfortable with what is an acceptable level of absurdity that can ha- come out of the show, uh-huh. and you, for the most part, you stick to that. I feel like recently, in the last couple of episodes, they have started to violate any sort of, especially what the level of realism that they uh, established in the pilot episode. They've kind of kicked a lot of that. Uh, okay, so that so that Glee is heading Glee is heading into a higher absurdity. A higher absurdity, uh, what tax bracket? Higher, a higher, higher absurdity, absurdity bracket. I, I feel like they're 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 leaving behind some attention to detail when you go when you ratchet up the level of absurdity. Um, specifically, one other thing, last thing, a specific point I'll add about the show, which is bothering me, 
is uh, at the very end of the, I think, the most recent episode in which uh, the crying teenager gets into the car and lo and behold, there is uh, the Glee Club teacher's wife, the one who wants to steal the baby, basically. That to me is like, how did she get there? This is just getting way out of control here. The pregnant teenager. The pregnant, the pregnant oh. cheerleader. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. With so getting so wait, does, does this movie have like a sense of whimsy to these things? Or are they just sort of like, do they pop up in kind of a way that's represented as if these are plausible events in the reality? Like, how, how is the reality of this world set up? Is it set up in such a way that these things are comfortable or in such a way that these things are jarring and, and unpleasant? I, I think Mark and I would come down differently on that question. Okay. Right. I would go with jarring and unpleasant. And I, and I would go with, like, I'm not surprised by any of them because this is the show – I think this is the show that was promised to me. Right. Okay. So, and you're saying that it's less Pollyannish than High School Musical. Yes. Because so it's very – yeah, yeah, it's very, it's sort of very cynical. It's, I mean, the show, Jordan pointed out, the show, the show seems to be like anti-marriage, you yeah. know, anti-protein uh, 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 sex, right? Like anti-abstinence club. Yeah, pro-abortion, anti, um, like just mocks the hell out of the, the teenagers in the, like the abstinence club, you know? Um, I mean, I'm envisioning a high jumper going over like a two and a half foot bar. <laughs> like, I'm less Pollyannish than High School Musical. <laughs> I guess that is, yeah, that is true. Which, yeah, by the I way, know. speaking of High School Musical, I, I, I'm subjecting myself to watching High School Musical two, huh. which okay. I feel like is an important thing that overthinkers should do: subject themselves to watching one of the High School Musical movies because they're yes. so okay. influential, and like you know, they're they're becoming the basis of a lot of different. Hey, Fenzel uh, bought the bought the Dragon Ball movie. I mean, you know, yeah. right? Like that's like this is what we do. We this... give up the body. <laughs> give up the body for the art. We have responsibilities. To this our is leadership. like yeah, right? Like this when... is not about me or you, Matt, or you, Mark. This is about the people whose lives we improve by doing the work that we do. <laughs> right, and, and this is like. Life's a game of inches. So, so, so like, as in the second or third century, when it became clear that the early Christians, uh, you know, convictions were were in fact not accurate, and Jesus was not like coming back tomorrow, and the focus of Christianity turned from like preparation to asceticism, or from martyrdom to, uh, or from asceticism to martyrdom, or something like that. Right? Uh, we buy Dragon Ball. <laughs> exactly. It's a kind of self-immolation. We immolate ourselves from pop culture. We illuminate ourselves with the glaring light of LCD screens and and uh, um, uh, cathode tubes. Right. And yeah. You, and we burn. Oh, we burn. And the with the, the uh, hard the, with the uh, hard gem-like flame of you know. <laughs> yes, exactly. Of a, of a film projector. Like. So, what do you yeah. think of what do you think of HSM two? What did I think of High School Musical two? Yeah, it was terrible. Right. Um. It, it was a while ago. I mean, it's definitely you know not quality entertainment in a way that I think you and I would judge um, entertainment to be quality. I think there was there's some really interesting class subtext going on in huh. that, and if it's something that I've kind of wanted to go back and um, if I could acquire a copy of the movie by some means, one or the other, uh, to go back dissect some of the scenes and really get at what they're saying about class. Yeah, because there's like comfortable middle class kids, and then there's like the really awful rich girl. And that's like kind of the main divide that you see there. Yeah, um, that is. Isn't that you know? Isn't that uh, how life is with uh, you know a bunch of comfortable middle class kids and then a really rich girl and no poor well, people? Yay! <laughs> that's, that's, that's where Glee really d- differentiates itself from High School Musical. And one of the things I do appreciate about the show is when it injects the economic reality of their context. That being Ohio, 
which yeah. is not particularly, you know, it's, it's kind of a redneck town in Ohio, and it acknowledges that. Mm-hmm. They should definitely make one of these things about like a really, really poor high school that's like had a lot of trouble and like has a condemned building and like has a lot of problems like keeping teachers, and they should sing and dance about it. I think it would be great. I don't. I have no idea. Here's the, here's a question for you. I don't know. Maybe anybody who listens to the podcast who's done like the either Teach for America thing, who's done the teaching in in inner city schools kind of thing, or is like you know from an area like this and grew up in an area like this. Do the high school stereotypes hold in a place where the economic realities are more challenging? Right. Like, do you still have like, cause like, uh, like in, um, and I'm reminded again of, which I think is a wonderful scene of, um, uh, in American Splendor when they watch Revenge of the Nerds and Harvey P. Carr is like, these are not actual outcasts. Right. Like, these are people who are going to get good jobs and they're going to have successful families. We should not pity these people. These people are not outcasts. We're outcasts. Right. Like, do, do the same when you actually have real problems as a, as a teenager. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Heather's looks pretty good. <laughs> Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, you know, uh, I mean, everyone has food only in Sunnydale. Do you have to fantasize about vampire attacks? Right. Right. Right? (laughs) Like not every high school is Sunnydale. So therefore not every high school has to look for vampire attacks for its big problems. Yep. Um, So like in places where kids like have to say work for a living more frequently or even like can't find jobs and can't work or like have to take care of their own brothers and sisters or like other stuff like that um, because the resources just aren't there, you know, places where the teachers aren't there to give them the education and being cool by avoiding getting an education isn't really an option because you're not getting it in the first place to the degree that you would like. Um, I don't know. I, I, I wonder what it would be like if we were to actually take a look at those kinds of schools because there are so many of them and they dominate the education debate, but they don't dominate the education culture. You know what I mean? Um, I think I talked about this once when I talked about how uh, schools are sometimes represented as like like education is represented so often as like totally awesome. Wasn't didn't we have a podcast about that a long time ago where I was talking about like Naruto and like how ninja school is like the coolest thing in the world, but like actual school is like always portrayed as lame. Um, yeah, like I think educational we're, we're, we're talking about Gossip Girl as well and portrayal. Yeah, of yeah, yeah. Anyway, anyway, I would wonder. I would love to see a high school musical that takes place in the school from Lean on Me. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, I, just, I would love to see it, and maybe it's out there. Maybe someone can recommend it to me. Maybe it's O. Like I haven't seen O. I don't know. Um, Save the Last Dance. <laughs> I don't know. Ten Things Anything I Hate About Ju- You. It's got to have Julia Stiles in it. Let's just name Julia Stiles movies. Yeah, uh, right. the, the, the guy thing. <laughs> Um, the born identity. We've devolved. So let's, <laughs> let's wrap it up there. A couple of announcements, a couple of things I want to say. Uh, one is that separate from this podcast, if you, if you get this podcast feed, uh, you'll see that Ryan Sheely and I, who are devotees of these, these many television shows, uh, largely on the CW about the sex lives of teenagers, uh, have started occasionally talking to one another about our thoughts about, especially gossip girl and glee, but we'll probably also in, include uh we'll also probably include um vampire diaries uh and maybe melrose place a little bit um so uh that's going to be on this podcast feed you can see them it will say like podcast supplement on them and you can download them from there for the time being we'll spin it off into a separate feed so if you hate that other show that we're doing uh just ignore them and they'll go away soon enough if you like it um if you like it, you can uh, subscribe to the new feed, and we'll give you instructions uh, on how to do that. I want to thank people who have uh, donated to us, because we asked, um, we asked 
for uh, donations. And like some of these are, I, I won't give the amounts, but some of them are as low as a dollar uh, or as high as what have you. And uh, so every, every amount is wonderful. We're all grateful for it. And I just want to publicly acknowledge, I hope they're all podcast listeners. I want to publicly acknowledge uh, all the people who have, uh, uh, who have clicked that donate button uh, in the sidebar. We have Don from Chicago. Thank you, Don. We have uh, Oren from Arlington. Oren from Arlington. Oren from Arlington. We have Emil from Poland. All right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. We have Nicholas from Coon Rapids. <laughs> that is an awesome name. <laughs> Coon Rapids uh, is in Minnesota. Uh, and we have Ken from uh, Alameda. And that is all that is showing up on PayPal right now. Thank you to all of those. There is, um, there's that donate button there. The show is free. We don't have advertisements at the moment. Uh, I mean, God knows if we could find an advertiser, I would sell, I would sell our listeners out for a pack of smokes at this point. But no, I'm, I'm kidding. We love, we love you. We try to give as good an experience to you as we can. Uh, but it costs money to do the show. It, it certainly doesn't make enough money to cover the expense of doing it so we appreciate whatever you do to support uh to support the show and make it possible for us to uh have it be sustainable have it be at least a zero balance uh endeavor yes yes um Super. Oh, anything else I want to say? No, I think that's it for the announcements. So add your voice to the... I, and, you know, as, as I said, you know, flame us, scream into the voicemail, whatever you want. This has been You know a, what I always say, man? I always say, if people aren't yelling at you on the internet, you're doing it wrong. You are doing the internet <laughs> wrong. Uh, yes. Uh, so, you know, we, we welcome all of that. It has, God knows, it has been an episode that did not lack for controversy, right? Mm. Uh, so uh, the ways to do that are to leave a comment on the show notes for this... This episode on the site, use the contact form on the site, email podcast at overthinkingit.com, or call the voicemail, which is 20 eat log 01. That's 203-285-6401. And as always, visit us on the internets at www.overthinkingit.com, the site that subjects the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. Speaking of things that have crazy endings... Speaking of things that have crazy endings... Speaking of things things that that have crazy crazy endings... endings. (laughs) Does it work when we all repeat each other and say the same thing? This is where we all repeat each other and say the same thing. Does it work when we all repeat each other and say the same thing? Does it work when we repeat each other and all say the same thing?